0: A-S-I, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. This is Season 5, Episode 7. Today's show, Mark lay, Very special guest, honored to have him on. My name is Russ Shaw. Yes, again, kicking this thing off with some Johnny Cash and Soundgarden. I'm gonna break, I'm gonna break my, I'm gonna break my rusty chain.
1: So it's about it's addiction swapping, and that I don't want to get down that because that is critical. That is super critical for people that are struggling with addiction because they need to get healthy, yeah. right? So like it's okay to use your addict's mind, and I identify as an addict to use my addict's mind to exercise. So for me, I got super crazy into weightlifting and super crazy into yoga. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm just going to do that every single day, all day long. And, like, was that healthy? Probably not. You know? <laughs> right. It was it got, healthier, it me, right? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it didn't hurt. You know, it's better than, like, doing hard drugs. Right. So it's fine. And, like, I got into cooking, and I got into gardening, and I got into just, like, really intense hobbies. Um, Things that I could do every day and do them for, like, four hours if I needed to, right? Right. Like, um... But that was helpful, you know, and that got me to a place that I was healthy. But the, the, the form of treatment that I that I try to do with my clients and it's this a death treatment is when you have an urge, right, instead of doing something else, do nothing. Oh, do wow. nothing. There you like just it. watch it. Just watch it. And like if you sit there and you watch it, you're going to lose your mind. If you'll be like, I'll never do that, I'll lose my mind. It's like, yeah, like your mind and body will go crazy. You'll have insane thoughts. You might start shaking. You might have emotional reactions. I mean, it just opens the door. It's a Pandora's box. Like, there is just so much underneath the surface. And that's kind of what we're talking about in this interview of, like, there's shame down there, there's grief down there, there's anger down there, there's hurt down there. And until you at least touch into those and make room for those and accept those, recovery is impossible.
0: Oh, yeah. You're going to want to stick around for this interview. Mark Azule is, I love this guy ex-heroin user all right he's also today a psychotherapist in boulder colorado he is the president he is president of the colorado group psychotherapy society are you kidding me i'm not he is uh and he's a millennial all right the guy's like 26 i love this guy i mean i'm 48 going on like 17 because of a thing called arrested development, right? Anyway, uh, not the TV show, the psychological, anyway. Uh, so here, I'm gonna we're gonna get into it. Uh, first of all, I have to say asi247.org is the website for this here podcast. Uh, if that sounded a little weird, is because, yes, I was sitting in my car. And basically, I had called Mark on FaceTime because I have an Apple iPhone now, and he's got an iPhone. So we did the FaceTime thing, and then I was playing it through the Bluetooth speakers in my car as I sat in a park in Seattle. A beautiful view, though, man. Just the whole skyline of Seattle right there. Boom. Um, But anyway, if you would like to invest in keeping the show uh, and programming like this out there, (laughs) I sound like... I'm starting to sound like uh, NPR, right? Um, Not just that, but if you could help. uh, I'm doing a GoFundMe right now and looking to get some equipment upgraded to make this sound better. I mean, I hear podcasts where two people are on Skype and it sounds like they're in the same room. I'm like, how do I do that? That's awesome. Oh, money. Right. So... I'm doing a fundraiser on the podcast right now. Uh, It's through GoFundMe, gofundme.com slash save the time machine. If you want to know what that means, you can check that out. It's until August 30th. So if you're listening to this past August 30th, go to asi247.org, click on the give, become a co-producer button uh, link, right? And you can see the video there. But listen, there's only a few more days in the campaign and I seriously could use your help. Anyway, so yeah, I got my I got my my cup out and I'm asking for help. Here we go. We're gonna get right into it right after this bumper. Mark as you hey,
1: come here. You need to know my secret. It's very bad. Very, very bad. I wanted to tell you, but I, I, I'm afraid. maybe said, time peace will reign and the insanity."
0: Maybe the meek shall. you lay, my treasured guest here on the podcast. Hello, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing well. Happy to be on the podcast. Yeah, I wanted to introduce you to uh, the listening audience. Mark is a therapist in the Colorado area. Which city are you in over there? I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Boulder, Colorado, home of Mork and Mindy.
1: Exactly. The house is actually right down the street from my office. Oh, wow. Really? you See that? Yeah, I've actually shot it.
0: Yeah. I, I'm totally dating myself right there with the, <laughs> the Morgan Mindy reference. But hey, man, I'm having you on the show because you write a blog that, that and we, we met through Twitter, which is interesting. Like, I saw your stuff on Twitter. And I'm like, hey, this guy's brilliant. I, I checked out your blog. And uh, so, how long have you, you been in practice over there? Uh, about five years. About five years. So you're a yeah. single guy? Mm-hmm. And uh, how old are you, man? I'm 26. 26.
1: You went to... Uh, what school did you attend there? Yeah, so um, I went to my undergrad at Carnegie Mellon University. Where oh, I great. studied neuroscience. Right. Um, and then I did my master's degree um, at Naropa University.
0: Oh, nice. And I
1: studied contemplative psychotherapy. So I use a mixture of um, Eastern wisdom practices, like Buddhism and Hinduism, and Western psychology.
0: Interesting, yes. I've been into the Eastern philosophies recently as well. I would consider myself spiritually more of a a Christian mystic spiritual anarchist at this point in my
1: life. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, I'm all about that.
0: Yeah, so it's funny that a friend of mine reminded me, you know, because... I, just speaking as far as Christianity is concerned, it's funny how it, it kind of got hijacked by a lot of reformers and then people in the, in Europe. And my friend John reminded me, he's like, Russ, you realize that Christianity is an Eastern religion, right? <laughs> like we forget that. So, you know, spiritually speaking, what I'm really after is in this conversation is, is getting uh, listeners familiar with someone like yourself. And Carnegie Mellon, man, what a great school!
1: I, yeah, it was it was great. I mean, I I learned so much there. It was one of the definitely like foundational experiences of my life.
0: Yeah, I listened to some lectures at Carnegie Mellon. I actually heard a TED talk by a guy that went to that school with ADHD and talking about his ADHD. Uh, I think the title of the talk was. Um, what if it's a difference in cognition, not a disorder? Which I've mm-hmm. been really starting to... Wow, yeah, right. There's a, So shame has an element in there as well, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. That's something we're going to talk about a lot in this podcast. Exactly. Shame and, and, and stigma and kind of the damage that they can cause. And here's what, what captured me about what you said, and this is one of the
0: reasons I'm having you on the show. I love this. So this is your, your words from the blog. There's something sexy about holding a deep, dark secret. There's something (laughs) mysterious about having a tortured past, withholding parts of ourselves and locking them away. The thing is, we we lock our secrets away with shame. We believe that we are unlovable and that if people really saw the real us, they would run away. Ouch, right? Yeah. And let's be honest, sometimes they do. What if I told you that those people were running away from shame, not the secret itself? When we share a secret, sometimes the sheer force of emotion can push people away. I I so get that. That is so many recovery groups and uh, I mean, uh, don't get me started. Anyway, let me me read on, I'll finish this paragraph. Um, uh, it can be difficult with someone when they fall into their shame. The problem is, we take it so personally. We we think that we are to blame, and that any hope
1: of connection and love is ruined. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot um, in, the, in that blog post, and I think it, it comes to how we relate to our secrets, not the secrets themselves, you know. Um, right. A big part of psychotherapy is looking at the way someone talks, not so much what they're talking about. It's about looking at their process, it's about looking at the emotions that surround it. And an unprocessed secret, a secret that you know still carries that shame, that's what's overwhelming to people. That's what can um, cause suffering in people's lives. It's not about what happened to you, it's about how you relate to it. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the heart of that post. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The relationship that you have with it. Now, getting into some of your own story, Mark. I find yep. th- it very true that people that pursue this uh, calling in life, to use those words, um, have some kind of damage in their own life, right? So I wanted you to take me, the listeners, into your story a bit and tell me about that place where you, I mean, for you to write something like this, dude, at 26, is like, you You have a familiar... Um, relationship
1: with it as well right oh yeah I've definitely been there I've definitely
0: been there so um, t- to take us to that place where where maybe some and I don't necessarily like this term but it makes a lot of sense um, in addiction circles we refer to it as rock bottom. Um, did you get to a place like that in your life where you had to make a change, where you got to the space where you said enough, right? And you were willing to move forward in in your own story?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. We can start with Rock there, there are kind of two events that kind of participated in my my change. Um, and just for you and for the readers, I'm in recovery too, so I'm, I'm sober. As well, Um, so I've struggled with a ton of addictions. I find that uh, people are either into alcohol or into everything else. Right. I'm an I'm an everything else kind of guy. Yeah. wasn't a big drinker, but whatever else, uh, you know, sign me up. Um. So, so so there are kind of two events. Um. The first was an overdose. You know. So. um, Oh. Yeah. Um. I was an opiate user, and I overdosed, and that was kind of what got me into therapy, and. You know, I really wish I could tell this story in a way that was about personal strength and, like, overcoming the demon, but, like, I just got scared. You know, I got really scared, uh, and the medical condition, like, made the choice for me, you know? Right. And that's where I was, you know? That's, like, that's where it started, and that was, you know, kind of the rock bottom because where that came from, and it comes from that same place, right, because... It came from this place where on the surface I looked very happy and I looked very content and I'm, you know, I'm at this great school, you know, my CMU during neuroscience, which is like a very difficult program and I'm getting good grades and I'm kicking ass, but underneath it I was just hollow and empty. Right. You know, I really struggled with friendships or I struggled with relationships. I struggled with knowing myself and who I was and I struggled with a lot of these drugs that were distancing me from myself and distancing me from others. Um, so,
0: like prescription so just, meds, then, or
1: um, street heroin? <laughs> street heroin, <Apparently. laughs> Yeah, that was the opium. So, 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 I thought that I was uh, smoking opium. I thought I was like a gentleman of the Orient, right? Uh, but really, it was just, it was just heroin, yeah. um, straight up. So. Uh, I mean, it didn't start with that. It started, I started using marijuana. You know, I have history. I used um, ecstasy. I used a lot of... I uh, used cocaine. I used some psychedelics. I mean, just kind of like I said, everything else. I was in the um I was in the race scene. So in Pittsburgh, uh, the race scene is kind of the way I describe it. It's like uh, rainbow-colored powder. Right. So you don't really know what you're taking. It's just a Ziploc bag full of whatever. Right. Um, and you take any dance, you know? And that was a place, in a weird way, like... I got a lot of connection because um, I was a very shy kid, a very shut down kid. And these drugs actually helped me to form a community and to, and to get outside of myself and to become um, social and uh, also sexually active, you know, as it to, to this podcast. Like, I actually got, like, a lot of rewards from doing those drugs, but, you know, ultimately weren't very beneficial. Um, yeah, long so,
0: but it's interesting how that. Yeah. So, and, and your story and mine are, are similar. Like, I did heroin too. I, I smoked, I free, we called it freebasing, right, back yeah, in yeah. the 80s. Freebasing cocaine. Basically, that's crack cocaine today. Like, mm-hmm. you know, some of my generation X, like, we invented crack cocaine, sadly. Uh, so, so yeah, man, I, I, I get you. Like, I went from yeah. all of the addictions yeah. as well. When I was 16, I drank myself to death. I actually drank a half gallon of rum and died for two minutes. I broke into my stepfather's house. My, My friends and I stole all his booze and proceeded to drink it all. And yeah, mm-hmm. so that went really bad. But the state of Washington forced me into rehab. And that's where I started this journey of addiction recovery because in rehab I learned that I have a disease, right? You get to some of this familiar language. Like yeah. you have a disease. Um alcohol's the devil. You can never do alcohol again because if you do, you're going to go off the deep end and just you can never do alcohol again. So, and I always saw that as kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that because I went from alcohol to crack cocaine and methamphetamine so that became my next chemical romance that that almost ended me as well and then, and then here's, so here's where shame comes into the picture too, Mark, is where I, I went through the recovery process, I made it into a church, I got saved, right? To put that in quotation marks. And, and, yeah. uh, and, and I figured I, I picked the right God, right? <laughs> like the, the correct <laughs> God You're is out right, there, yeah. and I, and I picked that God, and that God set me free from all these, these chemical, you know, situations that I was in. And so, what i had was kind of a a self-righteous view of my own recovery you know to the point where i had this sex thing and it was pornography mostly so i'm married i'm masturbating to pornography and there was something weird about that as well like i read a uh, cs lewis wrote this book called the great divorce and in the book he draws this metaphor of a man of a man masturbating Alone, while his beautiful wife is in the other room, he, he sort of likened that to being in hell, <laughs> which I thought was a, a powerful analogy and metaphor. Uh, so I had this thing that that plagued me for years, and then it came to the point where I was with prostitutes. Um, not to rehash what listeners have probably already heard me talk about a lot, but it, it, you know, then that became a habit. Like that was pretty easy to do. And I started just really risky sexual behavior, not just for me, but being with my wife as well. I exposed yeah. her. I mean, that was one of the darkest rock bottom moments of my life, Mark, was looking across the doctor's office table while my wife is sitting there being tested for AIDS and and um, the big one was hepatitis.
1: <sighs> yeah, I can't imagine.
0: Yeah. yeah. And we don't see hepatitis as a sexually transmitted disease, but it's actually the biggest killer Of people uh, is is hepatitis. So, long story short, it it was a lot of deconstruct, reconstruct with my faith, my relationship with other people in the world, my relationship with my Creator. You know, to use those terms, and you know, it's not that that everyone who listens is a believer. I'm, I'm very thankful for my my atheist friends who listen, but there's something to that place. my friend Paul Young wrote this book called *The Shack*, and the shack is a metaphor for that place inside of us where, where we don't want people to see. Right? It's where our secrets are. It's we don't we we are very afraid to bring people into that shack. So, what what was it for you in, in using my my friend's shack analogy? What was it for you to bring someone into that space? When did, when did that happen, Mark, where you were able to, was it a group therapy situation or a 12 step kind of thing? Or when was it that you kind of let the secret out of the bag, so to speak? Did you get to a place in your life where, where, when you did express that, you felt that kind of like, oh, wow, I can be real here. Um, bring me to that place.
1: Yeah, so um, kind of twofold. I mean, the first place was in individual therapy. Um, okay. So getting into therapy in college and really just being with my therapist at that time for about three years, working with with him. His name was Jeff Beyer, Dr. Jeff Beyer, great guy, um, phenomenal therapist. And he set me on the course. And let me tell you, man, like for the first two years of therapy, I just cried. Like, I was just in the room in tears. I don't remember what I said, what I was talking about. You know, it wasn't even really about, about the story. It was just the emotion i had kept bottled up in that shack for so long. Right. Like, all that hurt, all that sadness. Um, you know, my childhood was, like, I mean, a lot of people was, like, mostly fine. You know, like, I didn't have any serious abuse or serious problems. But my parents didn't really attune to me or they didn't really make room for me. I thought they were very curious about me. They're kind of the typical, um, you know, overachiever parents that just told me what to do all the time. Right. Right. So I was never, I never felt hurt, you know, I never felt really listened to. Mm. And to actually have somebody that would just listen to me and just be with me and do unconditional love was, I mean, it shocked my system, you know, like, like right. my little neurological system was not prepared for that experience. It really wasn't. And it was, like I said, a solid two years of just sadness and deep hurt and, being witnessed is really kind of the best way i can put it just being witnessed right um, that's
0: interesting that's beautiful
1: and and then moved on to when i went to naropa so the naropa program um a colorado it's a buddhist program it's one of the only Buddhist universities in the world and they challenge you to be very personal in it um their belief that's the belief that i strongly hold is in order to be a good therapist you need to understand yourself right in fact right. That's the only way to be a good therapist. All the techniques aren't going to do anything for you. All the protocols and manuals and procedures, like they don't mean anything if you don't know who you are.
0: Right. All the and, nutsy boltsy stuff, and and I've seen that too, Mark. I've been and then, in rooms. And I've talked to therapists. There was a few Christian counselors that they, they, they know their theology, they know the systems, and they can give you things to do, right? Like check, and I love that, and a lot of men love that too, right? Like we love little bo- yeah. checkmark boxes, <laughs> yeah. but that's yeah. not that's not the work of, of emotional that emotional work, right? Exactly, yeah. So not how it I mean,
1: would be nice. It'd be nice if we were machines and we could like take out the broken part and like put in a better part. Yeah. You know, but, like, that's not how the brain works. How exactly. The human being works. Um, it's more about that attunement. It's more about, like, kind of what you were saying of letting somebody into the shack and not exploding. Right? Yeah. Like, like, doing the thing you're really afraid of and realizing that, like, not only is it not that bad, but it actually helps.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, th- and I think you know? that's why a lot of people, and some of this is... You know, that's why I think 12-step is so helpful for people. And there's some things in 12-step that I still have real issues with. But I get when people say, man, 12-step saved my life. Because it's one of those places, you know, you think of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because you walk in that room, you take your pride, your ego, all of your achievements, yep. and you hang them at the door, and everybody just kind of exposes their soul to each other in a way that's beautiful, but it's also a way, and, and I've seen this in church situations too, Mark, where where when people are super vulnerable like that, and there's a bully in the group, like that bully can be seen yeah. as a leader, <laughs> right? Just because yeah. he's, he seems to have some kind of self-confidence, but a lot of times that, that cat can be a bully. So we need to be very careful, and that's something that I'm, I'm very passionate about doing this podcast, when you feel Bullied in some of those situations in, in a group situation, group therapy, because a lot of us don't have a lot of money to do therapy. And so that's why we end up in, in some of these 12 step or the back room of a church or a men's group or something like that. And I think those are helpful, but be discerning, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, Mark?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm actually about group all day. So I'm actually the uh, president of the Colorado group psychotherapy society. Oh, wow. So I I actually um, go around uh, the state and I help to educate people on effective group group treatment. So we're a professional organization that helps group leaders become more effective to present to prevent a lot of the stuff you're talking about. You're talking about scapegoating. Yeah, uh, Yeah, where someone gets bullied in a group and that happens a lot. Yeah, that happens a lot. And it goes, or a thing will get back.
0: scapegoated, or or a thing like yeah. sex will get scapegoated. You know, right. especially it'll, in Christian get, circles, a shame. Yeah, or desire, like desire's bad. Like, no, it's not. What you know, sex. Right. If it wasn't for sex, none of us would be here. Like, shut up. Like, so I get. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, uh, right. go ahead. No, go ahead.
1: I feel passionately about it, and, and and I get that. You know, because that's that's the response. You're like, you're doing it wrong. Like, what are you? <laughs> what wrong. is this? You know, and. Yeah. Like, and it goes back to the point I was making about Naropa where that reflects on the group leader, right? Like, if the group leader is not okay with his or her own desire or his or her own sexuality, then when that topic comes up, they're going to, like, scorpion attack it. <laughs> that's they're gonna, right. They're going to, like, destroy it <laughs> before... Here comes that needle. <clears> throat> throat> yeah, it's... Yeah. Like, <clears throat> <laughs> yeah that's so yeah, true. Like it's so true, and, like, that's part of the way my organization works is that we do a lot of experientials to help the leaders become more developed humans. Right. Right? So, so we do groups for group leaders, and the idea is that they will be able to confront these difficult topics because here's the thing, right? To go back to the thing of attunement, right? Like, if a client or a, or a, or a child, you know, or a friend brings up something very vulnerable, if they let you into the shack, right? Uh-huh. And you freak out and you, like, burn that shack to the ground. You just damage that person in a uh, incredibly deep way. Oh yeah. Like in a yeah. in a I mean, repairable but very damaging way.
0: Yeah. I would say that right. person and I've and I've experienced this myself, I have kind of like open the door to the shack, let people in, and then they were mm-hmm. like that. And so I just quickly ushered them out and locked the door. <laughs> and then I yep. would stay inside there for another year or two <laughs> by myself and then wonder why my life is falling apart on the outside of the shack while I'm all in there all by myself. So yeah, you're right. It's so incredibly important that people realize that. Like You could be causing someone more harm than good. We went through a a group a a pastor friend of mine and some other guys went together. We went through a book called When Helping Hurts (laughs) and a lot of it was about Christian missions and stuff like that but there's a lot of like what you're saying involved in that book that's beautiful. Um, We need to be very careful not to be, as one guy called it in the book, the angry elephant that comes in wanting to do good and then kind of stomps around and crushes everyone right
1: i agree yeah I, I mean i mean it's one thing from friend to friend but it's another thing when it comes from professional you know when it comes from a medical professional mm. a therapy professional or a religious spiritual professional right like if you go to your pastor and you tell him something and he can't handle it all of a sudden you're like oh my god this must be really bad yeah. you know if this guy can't handle it yeah right or, like if your therapist like freaks out you're like oh my god I'm freaking out a therapist like I would be especially <laughs> broken you know yeah so it has it even has it has the, the capacity for damage is inc- is much bigger for people that are in helping positions yeah because and you know you're ready re- you're already expected to be a certain role you know
0: right and that's there's something else true to that too and that's always why I ask every clinician that I have on the show I always ask them to take me to the point of their own damage And and thank you for being vulnerable in that as well. Um, It's funny how some people are like I have to keep (laughs) going after them a little bit, Um, but because there's there when you get to the pain and there's that so this is where some of us who are seeking recovery can even help the clinician or the pastor or the therapist because if that person freaks out a little bit it's sort of like you said with a scorpion attack like they just got hit with a stinger and they react every time there's a reaction like that this is something uh, uh, Neil Strauss, this guy, wrote the book, The Secret. He wrote a new book called The Truth, an uncomfortable mm-hmm. book about relationships. He says that one of the things he said I, I thought was brilliant is that uh, when, when you hit that thing, right, that causes that emotional reaction where someone goes, ah, what? You know, and they freak out a little mm-hmm. bit. You're getting mm-hmm. into some pain, right? You yeah. touched on a pain in their own lives, and they may not have processed that yet themselves. Uh, I use the the analogy of a ship right like we have a we have a lot of stuff going on on the upper deck <laughs> and a lot yeah. of people live their whole lives on the upper deck they don't realize that down below there's there's a there's a lower deck where there's there's peace and there's there's a, like a child you know that whole inner child analogy um, where we get to that place where we feel safe where we're vulnerable um so what kind of disciplines have you? through your own personal story through the some of the spiritual practices
1: to use that word um, that, that you're pursuing um, so kind of four main ones <laughs> as I kind of think about them okay um, so, the, so the first one is psychotherapy I, I actually consider my spirituality and my psychotherapy to be the same thing all right both, I'm, I'm still a client
0: uh-huh. um,
1: so both being a client and being a therapist is part of path for me right um, because, like you said, with that deck, it's about exploring the unconscious. It's about yeah, exactly. allowing my mind to be open and to free associate and just to be uncensored and unfettered, um, which creates more understanding and it helps me to answer some of the bigger questions that I have about my life. Well, like you know, what's my purpose? What's my gift to the world? What are my ethics? What are my morals? Which I consider part of my spirituality. You know, right. that's like my my core. You yeah. Know? Um, so that would be one. Um, the other one is uh, meditation. So, I have a daily meditation practice that I use um, to experience what it's like to be human. Right. You know? On the inside, like, right? On the inside. Like, what is yeah. it like just to sit and just to breathe? Turns out it's incredibly stimulating. Turns out there is, like, so much going on in every moment that it is wondrous, actually. Right. Like, the complexity that lives within the human creature. Um, so, by turning my eye inward and just sitting with my breath and, you know, for the viewers, like meditation, it's not about blissing out and like being one with the world. It's not about getting high. Uh-huh. It's about being with your experience, no matter what it is. That means being with my anger. That means being with my sadness. That means being with my shame. That means being with my grief. You know? Yeah. And for me, it it, it has a spiritual component because it's that it's that all encompassing love, right? Um, in Buddhism, that's called um, Maitri, which uh-huh. uh, translates to self love essentially or, or or loving kindness. So it's bringing that kind of love um, right. to yourself right and experiencing that um which is innate right? right 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 like that's that that's my belief that that love is innate that is a part of awareness that is an innate part of our our life yeah. um, and you and, feel it and, right and you, you don't You're just think it. about it you feel it on the inside no, this, is, this is an experiential thing yeah Thoughts oh, yeah. don't matter like this is like an experiential thing and i mean to go into that a little bit more the Buddhist belief is that uh, awareness, which can also be translated soul, is the thing that that contains your experience. Right? Uh-huh. Is infinitely boundless, completely loving, um, and is capable of holding every anything. And these are some of the things that Judeo Christian beliefs say about God. Right? Yeah, exactly. That they're talking that's about the, the that's the
0: fruit. Thing. We would call it in in Christian terms. We would call it the fruit of the spirit. Those are some of these Bible verses that get skipped by a lot of the fundamentalists (laughs) out there, right? It's like, against, so, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul, basically the whole book of Galatians is a huge rant against that kind of self righteous religion. (laughs) That's the whole book of Galatians. And he goes into in that book, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He said the fruit of the Spirit is joy, patience, peace, self-control. There's a list of all these things. And it says at the bottom, he says, against such things there is no law. In other words, the law comes to condemn, comes to destroy. The law brings death. The fruit of the Spirit brings life. And it brings life, as Jesus says, Abundantly like I'm just I'm just here to lead you into a life of a, of abundant spiritual Which isn't always money and the things that we think right? But yeah, I get you're, you're absolutely right. That's so true and my friend Seth Taylor um, He talks about it and this is something that's helped me recently Mark so my My thing with therapy and I'll let the listeners in on this. Um, I've experienced a lot of freedom from my own ADHD um, basically, which which really is mania to a certain degree. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, but there's, you know, you think of depression. When I get sad, I tend to be more busy or mm-hmm. be more fun. Speed up. Yeah. Yes. To speed up, to keep things going. Um, so, I have to be really cognizant of that and therapy has helped a lot And some of what you're talking about. The the body work, working on my own body, my breathing, understanding that it's not, and here's something that's kind of recent maybe in psychotherapy and in psychological circles that, hey, it's not all in your head, right, Mark? It's oh, yeah. in our being.
1: Yeah, psychology <laughs> is just catching up with that.
0: It's like, come on, guys. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very yeah. true. So, You know, just the last year and a half I've experienced. So one of the scariest things for me, Mark, was realizing that getting 11 years of sobriety from pornography you know even if i dabbled back into it going back into looking at it what really scared me was the fact that it wasn't the same relationship it was before like it wasn't doing anything for me. and that kind of scared me like oh holy crap like i don't have that relationship with that thing anymore like it's not there to you know it's not there like that crappy girlfriend you had right that you still want to text yeah. or call back like you know what i did it was just like I'm not taking your calls, right? So that was a scary thing for me. And then, so walking into this kind of therapy, has been, it's been super beneficial in my life in the last year. And, and actually, you know, looking into the mystics, uh, and realizing that there's a form of Christianity that came before the Bible was even printed, right? Um, is, is beautiful getting into those spaces. So Tell me more about mark, the uh, the group. So you're the president of the group Therapy. Is it like a group therapy thing, or do you guys do like a, a recovery group stuff too? And
1: yeah, so it's a Colorado group Psychotherapy Society. Okay. and uh, professional organization. So we are the local chapter of the American Group Psychotherapy Association, which is a national kind of organization that there's a lot of education around effective group group treatment. They have a national conference every year. Um, it's a research-based kind of thing, um, experiential. So we're the like, we're the like chapter of that. And yeah, I mean we we draw from all different types of groups. So there are some recovery group leaders that come in. There are trauma group leaders that come in. There are grief group leaders. There are people from the hospitals, from the prisons, um, all over the place. People are just running their own process groups, and we help clinicians gather and exchange ideas and develop better group practice. We want to have a higher standard in our in our state um, to help be best service to, to
0: the population that we serve. I, li- I love what you said about the, the therapists, you know, being that space where people can come and yeah, we're, we know because we're going to a therapist, but that's, I love what you said about that. When I speak of church and, and having a good, safe place, going to therapy, it, it's a very personal experience. It, it is sort of a business thing. You know, I love what you said too about your parents and how you felt, you know, kind of ignored or... I mean even in in a wealthy household you you were still in that space where you felt like that. I grew up in kind of a trailer park. I, I grew up in the white man's ghetto, <laughs> right? And and yeah, yeah. for me, it was, it was healthy, a healthy church situation. Now, because of the last year and a half, some of the healing that I've done, and this is why I so believe in therapy, is because, I mean, Obamacare is... So again, going back to my conservative Republican part, I would have voted against that. But now that it passed, and there is such thing as Obamacare, someone like me was able to get some real healing via therapy. I guess there's two strains to that that I would say. And do you help people who work on like a a sort of a volunteer basis? Like I still sometimes like to go into a 12-step group even. I would love to do some of that work where people are going in because they don't have money, right? Um, And helping with some of those group situations.
1: Yeah. So our organization um, offers uh, a lot of low income offers to train group leaders that are there. Right. um, That are in. They're working with like different franchise communities. Because there's a lot of churches
0: who do like that. Like a church will do a group on divorces. Right. Like people going through divorce and suffering through that. The loss of a child. um, Like like the you know the hospital. The Catholic uh, deal there was doing uh, groups on survivors of childhood sexual abuse survivors of rape I mean these are volunteer groups that are that are all over the place so you have um, you have resources that, that help in that area as well right and these are people that can yeah. don't necessarily have a lot of money that's the thing about mental health right like a lot of the people that need mental health
1: they don't have a lot of money like that's part of the mm-hmm. deal right yeah that's part of the problem it's hard to function and so my organization is to train professionals so when well, we're open to any group leader so even if you're not a therapist but you say you're you're leading a church group, like come down and we'll give you education, um, and we'll work with you. You know, you know, you can attend our workshops, attend our conferences. We can pair you with a mentor. Like we can help to teach you to be effective in those um, in those arenas. Um, and then what I personally do, another arm of my organization, is I work with people going through the court system. Uh-huh. So I offer low income therapy for people that um, have gotten uh, typically substance abuse charges. Um, so you know. DUIs, possession charges, um, assault while case, stuff like that, and I offer those at low rates um, to help people that you know are kind of struggling a little bit more than the typical Boulder client, right? Um, or, or maybe not more, but struggling, struggling in a different way. I right. want to say that struggling in a different way because all suffering is, is definitely valid. That's uh, true. It's important for me to to have that kind of um, lower income wing to what I do to give right. back.
0: Yeah, that's great, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. I was going to attend, and I haven't yet, but I still am thinking about it, um, attending a group that's in the Everett area. Um, So Providence Hospital, Providence Hospital is a a Catholic hospital, and they do groups for... um, It's sort of ironic, (laughs) sadly. And that's some of my triggers still, too. Some of my issues with Catholicism and and the priests and and how that whole thing has been handled and still is being handled. Uh, But I'm letting some of that go. Uh, But there is is groups in in the Everett area where I live uh, that do work for um, survivors of childhood sexual abuse. So that was a big part of my story, Mark, is, is I didn't tell anybody that until I was 38 years old, right? Yeah. Like, I tried to hide it and keep it, and, or, you know, oh, I'm fine. Or, or I was asked about it by clinicians, too, and, and I would just say, oh, you know, it was just kids messing around when I was young. Yeah. Like, no, this guy was probably 18 and I was 9, all right? Yeah. I mean, I was, what happened to me should never happen to a little boy and i'm passionate about that kind of stuff and and getting into a group situation with some of that is something that i would i would i would like to explore but also it's 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 almost the, there's a fear involved like cuz like you were saying it's such a it is such an intensely vulnerable place you know oh yeah and we invite people into that space in in that kind of group with that kind of label so to speak but I know that I've seen good healing in that, even in the church arena. Even in the church arena that wasn't super healthy, just the fact that there was a space to to be safe and talk about it, I found yeah. so incredibly healing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's a
1: great way to bust up shame, to just know that you're all there for a similar reason. Yeah. And to practice letting people in. I mean, the way that, that I kind of conceptualized it is kind of like a dojo metaphor mm. you know so when you go to a dojo so you like train to be a, a ninja or like a samurai or whatever you know like you start off and you practice with the group leader and you practice with like the master right mm-hmm. and then once you feel confident with the master then you practice with your your sparring partners and you, got, you guys practice being vulnerable right and you tell your story to your to your group members and you ask them for feedback and, and you really like practice letting a person in right it's still contained right it's still in the dojo um but the idea and you know i know you run a show about it but it's amazing that you could just talk about your abuse like no here you go here's that if you do that enough you take it out of the dojo into your life right right and then and then you're fine and you're healed yeah yeah because it's not a problem anymore like yeah what happened is still bad and wrong and hurtful but you're not hurting yourself because of that anymore yeah like that second level is, is is gone and that's i mean that's incredible
0: Yeah, you're right, and I've seen that. That's a good analogy, the dojo analogy, because I... And it's not that we're fighting something out there, but we're getting used to um, being in our own space and being able to spar with someone you trust and you know it's not going to hurt you kind of thing. Because you're right, it's sort of like when I... When I started sharing about it, it was weird. I would just tell my story about it. Like, I would look at it as a a story. I I could picture it in my mind, even. And I have repressed memories over it, and some of that has come out in therapy where I could stitch together something that I thought was happened over the space of a, a year or two actually happened all at once. Um, yeah, yeah, the model did that. Yeah, yeah. So when I could tell that story, it was funny when I would just I would just sit there like I'm like I'm with you now, and I would tell the story, but I would start bawling and not even realize. Oh wow, like just like I don't even know why I'm crying, but it was because it was it was in that space where it hurt, you know. And my body—that's what yeah. I think tears are, right? It's just your your body fills up with emotion and it comes out your eyes. So I, 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 I got, now I'm I'm at the place where I can talk about it and I'm not crying, right? Or I'm not, I, I still feel sometimes a little choked up, but I didn't just then, which is, is kind of progress, right?
1: Awesome, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And it's I mean, being able cool. to share it in a space like a recovery group where people are still very new to that and, and they could say something that hurts me, but because of like you're saying in the sparring analogy, I'm, I'm okay with whatever they may think because my, my heart is to really help them and to help them,
1: you know, with their own demons, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. I mean, one thing, there's a few things, but one thing that AA gets really right is the whole idea of sponsorship. Yeah. I think a huge part of recovery is actually taking on that leadership role and helping other people that were where you were. Yeah. And you do that for them and you do it for yourself. Right. And that is just so critical and that's what I'm hearing you really talk about is like stepping into that leadership role right like now that you've done your sparring and you're taking on to the world even this podcast like now you're modeling it for other people to be like this is okay like you can come forward now yeah, you know like you're not alone and that is shit man I mean I can get emotional about this but like the way our culture is so judgment based and shame based and just evil I mean it's, it's, just, it's just very hurtful for so many groups out there yeah. Of just saying that they're not right and that they're not okay and that they're broken or that they're crazy or that whatever label you want to put on them, like, it's horrible. It's yeah. horrible. And we need people like yourself that are out there opening the door. Yeah, And maybe it's just someone listening. Like Maybe they're not ready to talk yet. But the fact that they're listening and that they're like, oh, wow, maybe I'm not the only person. Like, it, like there's at least two people <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, that go through this. Yeah. And there's more. And that's what I think what groups, uh, an amazing thing of groups, is it just, Create a community around something that is so shamed in the culture, um, yeah. but really shouldn't be. Like those are the things that we should re- be really paying attention to yeah. in order to like heal our collective. You know, in order to heal us as a as a unit, yeah. we got to take care of. We got to take care of the people that got hurt.
0: You know, that's right. The power of the Me Too is yeah. so powerful, but it takes it takes leading someone into that space. You know, like coming mm-hmm. through the door of the shack and going, oh wow. You know, your heart looks like this, too, on the inside. <laughs> me, too, you know? It's kind of like, <laughs> yeah. like inviting a friend over. Like, have you ever been over to a friend's house, and their house is a total disaster, but they feel comfortable enough with you to where there's like, yeah. you know, they know you're not going to judge them for that? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the me, too space is so, is so incredibly important. I was actually approached um, by someone for starting... What's called, and these are starting to pop up, called uh, John groups or John mm-hmm. schools. Have you have you heard of this, Mark? No. Tell, me. Tell um, me. A John school is where someone who's been busted for, and this one of the reasons I'm apprehensive is it sounds kind of shamey, right? <laughs> because so if you're arrested for being with a prostitute, um, a lot of it has to do with sex trafficking. Um, yep. A lot of people you don't know you go to a prostitute, you think this is someone who's you know they're doing this for fun um, many mm-hmm. times I would say the bulk majority of times this person is in a situation they don 't necessarily want to be in like yes you know yes, yeah y- exactly, so these people get arrested for, for the the Johns get arrested and they are sent to as a reduced sentence basically starting a John school would be and I I am considering it I just I don't have the time right now or the resources but being a volunteer to speak into that world um, is basically where you would get a reduced sentence by the court if you attend this John school sort of like someone who goes through has a DUI goes through a a course on how to you know maybe recovery from alcohol yeah. so uh, that, that's what a, a John school does I guess uh, my my apprehension and maybe you could t- <laughs> I would love to pick your brain a little bit how would you feel about this if you were in my shoes um, because my I would so want to unpack the shame and a big part of being arrested and in, in, in having their bomb go off in their family because chances are this could lead to divorce, this can lead to all sorts of things but it can also be a, a beautiful piece of healing in someone's life Um, and that was for me in my life now I wasn't busted, I actually confessed everything, but it was like a bomb going off, so what what would you think about a John School if you were asked to maybe speak into one or something?
1: Do it yeah? Like, no hesitation interesting Um, I think that those people need to be exposed to love in a very real way, I think they need to know that it's okay and you uh, affiliating yourself with something like that is a big part of getting rid of the shame around it. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, they made a mistake and, like, yeah, they did something really dumb and, yeah, maybe they were aware of their actions or not. But again, they're not bad people. It's not what we've been talking about the whole interview. Yeah. Right. They probably had very good reasons for why they are drawn to that. Right. Probably really good reasons that are probably embedded in a lot of hurt and a lot of fear. Um, I love that you talk about that. Like, be like, this is out there for people. Like, you can go and do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I think just I say do it. You know, I mean, I'd love to. You know, maybe another time off the call. Like I'd love to consult with you of working with a you know um, population, offender population, because um, there are definitely some con- considerations. But we need the best people that we have in those situations because those are high risk situations. Right. You know. And families so, are are service. exposed. Yeah. yeah.
0: So really, yeah. so talk more about about shame. Mark, you touched on uh, kind of walking into that therapist's office, building a relationship with that therapist and seeing the shame I, I, I like to call it, and this is uh, another thing my, my friend Seth and I talk about is is when addiction starts to fall off like hair off a dog, right? Mm-hmm. When you stop trying to oh, I can't go to that place or I can't look at that thing or I can I mean, some of that's helpful, I suppose, but really what's helpful is getting to that place where like you were saying the healing comes in you see what i'm saying right like where is it that you got to where it felt like you were no longer trying to control your behavior as much as you were feeling the
1: healing in your own life yeah so there's kind of two stages of addiction recovery treatment the first stage is where unfortunately a lot of people stop, but that is um, addiction swapping, where it's like, uh-huh, "Hey, absolutely. you know, instead of doing drugs, go for a bike ride." Right. The thirteenth
0: of- step in in twelve step is sex addiction, basically,
1: or love yeah. addiction. Love addiction, yeah, codependency. <laughs> codependency. Um, <You're> right. <laughs> so it's about it's addiction swapping, and that I don't want to get down that because that is critical. That is super critical for people that are struggling with addiction because we need to get healthy, yeah. right? So like, it's okay to use your addict's mind, and I identify as an addict, to use my addict's mind to exercise. So for me, I got super crazy into weightlifting and super crazy into yoga. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm just gonna do that every single day, all day long. And like, was that healthy? Probably not, you know? <laughs> right. like, It was healthier, exactly. right? Yeah, whatever, it didn't hurt, you know? It's better than like doing hard drugs, right. so fine. And, like, I got into cooking and I got into gardening and I got into just, like, really intense hobbies. Um, things that I could do every day and do them for, like, four hours if I needed to, right? Right. Like, um, but that was helpful, you know, and that got me to a place that I was healthy. But the, the, the form of treatment that I that I try to do with my clients and it's the death treatment is when you have an urge, right, instead of doing something else, do nothing. Oh, do wow. nothing. Like, just watch it. Just watch it. And, like, if you sit there and you watch it, you're going to lose your mind. And you will be like, I'll never do that. I'll lose my mind. It's like, yeah. Like, your mind and body will go crazy. You'll have insane thoughts. You might start shaking. You might have emotional reactions. I mean, it just opens the door. It's a Pandora's box. Like, there is just so much underneath the surface. And that's kind of what we're talking about in this interview of, like, there's shame down there. There's grief down there. There's anger down there. There's hurt down there. And until you at least touch into those and make room for those and accept those, recovery is impossible. Yeah. So for me, doing that, that was at Naropa because Naropa, um, it's a very non traditional school in that, like, you actually talk with your classmates about yourself. Like, it's, it's like intensive therapy program. It's like, for me, Naropa was like my rehab. Right. You know, it was like three years of therapy. I didn't realize that's what it was, but it was groups. I mean, it's part of Naropa, we, we do group therapy every single um year every semester There's, you're in group therapy right um with some of your classmates and i mean that was really where i started to let people in is where i started to practice um and where i started to like sit with my own mind right um and it's, it scared me you know but it, it, i didn't die <laughs> you know yeah right and that's part of my practice now is like getting and touching back into that and being like, it's okay. You know, it's okay to be where I'm at. Like these are parts of me too. Right. And dispelling my own shame around parts of myself, around my own emotional experiences, around my own thoughts, because everything's perfect. You know, like, like there's a concept in Buddhism um, called basic goodness or Buddha nature, which means that everything is is perfect as it is. And it's because it exists, you know, Um, because it is, because it is here, and it's not a fantasy, and it's not a delusion, it has to be perfect. There's only one reality, and it's this one, and it's perfect. Yeah. And, like, perfect doesn't mean good, right? Perfect doesn't mean ideal. It just means, like, it's all you got, so touch into it and love it. And, I, and that concept has just continued to inspire me, continued to motivate me and challenge me throughout this whole thing of, like, accepting things as they are. Yeah. Because we can't make a change until we know where, we, until we know where we're at. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah. We get to that space like you were talking about, where, and again, my friend, my friend Seth Taylor, he wrote a book called "Feels Like Redemption." So a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, <laughs> only using Christian language, which is funny because it's, it, it becomes into the same space, right? But
1: yeah, um, all the same stuff. Yeah, yeah all yeah. the same
0: stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So he is. Uh, he touches on one of the things he talked about in his book was was what you just said, and I want to kind of go back and visit that. Um, mm-hmm. being in the space where you, you know, you're fighting it for, for one thing, stop fight like pornography addiction, for example. Um, if you realize it, like you said, don't do something else, just sit in mm-hmm. it and observe mm-hmm. yourself. And he uses the analogy of like, kind of like, maybe this is my analogy. I don't know. I'm stepping outside myself. Like the little kid in me is witnessing what's going on over here. Right, like watching the thoughts. Like your, your spirit is back there, and you're just kind of watching all those thoughts zip through your mind. Right, like the fantasies Mm -hmm. and all the, all the hurts and all the, you know, uh, resentments towards whatever relationships you're in. You know, all these things that are floating and bustling around, kind of like, kind of like being in one of those haunted house movies, and you're watching this Mm -hmm. stuff swirl around the room, and then just, just wait it out. Yeah, Yeah, just feel it. Feel it. Wait yeah. it out and then just you know yeah. and there'll come a time when all that stuff just boom falls to the floor and then you're like, Oh, you know? That's so incredibly healthy and so true. And it's it's a discipline that we don't we don't do enough, you know, we don't talk about enough. We don't
1: do it at all. I mean <laughs> and, and like <laughs> when true. you talk about mystic and contemplative practice, like those are very similar. Yeah. So it's like when you talk about, you know, the Christian idea of like the midnight vigil, right? Like sitting and just praying all night, like, that is, that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. When people talk about, like, intensive meditation retreats. That's what they're talking about. Yeah. It's like, you just sit and you just watch, you know? Yeah, and yeah. And you just, like, be there. And it's, I don't know what happened, man. Like, I don't know what happened because that seems like that practice, call it mindfulness, call it meditation, call it prayer, or whatever you want. That was so integral to all societies, really. You know, it seems like a universal human thing. Yeah. But somewhere around 100 to 250 years ago, it it just stopped happening.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I, don't, a, know, I don't know
0: why. I have a know? theory. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, have, I have a theory, Mark. And studying yeah. some of uh, social psychology, so, and some of it's just, you know, sort of like addiction. Like what we, I think what we've done, and, 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 and tell me if this makes sense to you. Um, the last 100 years and there's i guess there's a film about freud's brother who came to this country and t- started talking about some of the the id the ego the super ego and yeah. and then thinking about the super ego so we're sold stuff every day so The the spirit and the soul in that quiet space is almost the enemy of that thing that we try and get the money out of you for. Like, if I can bring to you some kind of savior... Like, if you watch every commercial, there's a a hell, there's a functional hell, and there's a heaven, right? So we try and sell Mm -hmm. people... (laughs) (laughs) We try to sell people a thing, or even sex, right? If you think about sex and the climax of sexuality, like all I want is that orgasm, like somewhere I'm gonna get to the point where I'm gonna blow my load and I'm gonna feel happy, right? So that could be buying a car, it could be getting a a new thing, Amazon, the the, the advertising for Amazon, I saw a billboard that said, happiness is one click away. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. There's there's Amazon Prime right there. Like, there it is. So what we're doing, and we've done this for hundreds of years, and you think of the bombardment daily of just advertising and consumerism, it seems to kind of kill away that part of us. But I think that there's maybe a new, like yourself, I guess you would be considered a millennial, right? Right. That's what I love about you. I'm having a millennial on the show who's talking about such awesome, deep, interesting concepts. Because, I mean, it's your generation that I think is seeing what my generation, Generation X and the baby boomers and just kind of standing back with arms folded going, you know, you guys aren't happy. <laughs> like, you may have wealth, you may have money, you may have achievements and accolades, but look at you, you're you're a mess, you know? And it's, it's that your
1: generation be, yep, yeah,
0: yep. going, hey.
1: And we have our own issues, but yeah, like one thing we're very clear on is that whatever you guys did didn't work <laughs> right. yeah, like we're clear on that but we don't know what to
0: do about it right that's interesting I but i think you're on to something it's getting to that yeah. place that place of spirit that place of uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh and and to get spiritual um in recovery groups we call higher power, right? And I'm not, I always say that in the show, I am a Christian, I'm not Mr. Shove the Jesus pill down your throat, right? I'm I'm not that guy. But everyone needs to get on that spiritual journey where they're seeking out what it means to be connected. Yes, I agree. Connected to something bigger than yourself and then connected to each other and not just through a screen, Right? But actually Mm -hmm. eye-to-eye, face-to-face, in real relationships. Away from the specter of shame, like you said in your rave days, or me in my metal punk rock days, where I did very much feel connected, right? I mean, I had the yeah. hair, dude. I had the. I didn't have tattoos because I, I hated needles. I no, no piercings yeah. or tattoos for me because I was like, mm-hmm. ew, that requires needles and sitting still for long periods of time, <laughs> which I wasn't into.
1: <laughs> but I had the hair. Yeah, I had the. Are horrible.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, offensive t shirts and all that stuff. But the gang that I <laughs> ran with, talk about shame and maybe the specter that may sit in some of those, those groups. As well as the conservative Christian guy, or even the—I've—I've even met Buddhist guys who were sort of self-righteous in (laughs) their—in their wanting to be alone all the time. Like it became so (laughs) much about about running off and being, you know, silent and being by yourself that that sort of became their 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 addiction. Like that felt very much like community. It felt like being accepted.
1: And it probably was. I guess what I'm hearing what's coming up for me right now is just about the loneliness that's in our culture right now. And kind of you alluded to. Yeah. My the, generation... The specter of shame sits of in that loneliness, right? Right, right. It's like we're hyper-connected, but we're not really resonating or we're not... I don't know. I don't really like that word. We're not, we're not really, like, nurturing each other, right? Like, a lot of what we do, and my generation is the biggest problem of this, is we exchange information. We don't connect, right? We just, like... yeah send out information bulletins and that's like that doesn't have that attunement thing that that you need a healthy relationship because we're social animals i mean we're we're pack animals yeah so we need our pack we need our tribe which is very important to like the functioning of our psyche to have a community you know Uh um and that loneliness it comes from things like shame i mean it comes you know as much as i'm a big social media guy a lot of social media it's like seeing people's highlight reels, right? Like yeah, exactly. Like, you see, like, their projection, and there's this such horrible comparison thing. I mean, now, my generation's bad, but the generation underneath me, we don't even have a cute name for them yet. Like, I see a lot of young adults and adolescents, and if they don't get a certain number of likes on Facebook, they are hurt. Like, yeah. they are, like... That messes them up for like a week, (laughs) you know? Like my Instagram (laughs) followers are going to be more than yours. And if they're not, yeah, I get that. And it's like, it's easy to joke about it, but like, this is so real. It's so real because never in our lives have we quantified validation and quantified belonging in like a point system, like a very real way, you know? And for an adolescent and a teen, like they're all about belonging and they're all about popularity. Like that's what they're of genetically and, and, and evolutionary design to be doing at that point like where do you fit in right like where do you fit in this weird yeah. community that, that we built so for them it's a huge deal and like you know it's bullying on a whole new scale right i mean not feeling validated with your friends is like feeling isolated it's like being you know cast away it's like being abandoned for some of these people yeah and it's only really getting worse and and I don't know. I mean, that's why. Like again, I mean, I don't even know if I identify as a Buddhist. Like, I was born Jewish, did like you know, raised atheist, did a bunch of drugs, thought I was like a shaman, and then I went to a Buddhist school. So I don't know, like, what the fuck I am. <laughs> right? You know, that's like, so I, American,
0: that's though. Point. I love that. It's just very.
1: I also do like Lakota sweat lots So fine, you know. And I right. do yoga. So whatever, man. But like, and I read a lot of philosophy, which I don't recommend to anybody because <laughs> <laughs> just off your brain. Um, <laughs> I guess what I'm coming to is I really like religion because it has that community aspect to it, and it yeah. has that I mean that circling aspect of like sit in a circle and talk to people. So I like group therapy, right? Like come to mass and like listen to someone talk about what it means to be human, right? Like there's such a there's such a lack of role models and there's such a lack of sober community um, and such a lack of leadership that my generation is really feeling. I mean we don't have a lot of time, but one of the things I like to talk about a lot is masculinity and the idea of masculinity, and our culture doesn't really have strong masculine role models.
0: Right. You know, that's very um,
1: true. of like, what does it mean to be a man? That's not like the super macho, you know, jock motherfucker, you know, or right. like the Donald media, Trump, like wimpy dude. <laughs> yeah, it was not Trump. Like, please, not Trump. <laughs> but like, you know, like we don't have these models, and we get lost. We get really lost, and and it's it's scary it's scary the like amount of disconnection and you know this is definitely an exaggeration because we don't know what life was like back then but if you look at what people think indigenous culture life was or what you know closer to evolutionary human life was like it's you know you would apprentice under like a hunter or a blacksmith or a fisher or something and you'd have like a male to like teach you what it means yeah. to be You know, and and women would gather in groups and do like, you know, they're they're sewing and they're they're sowing of the fields and they're harvesting and they would have these social connections. And like we just, in America, we just don't have those kinds of communities anymore. Um, And I think, you know, with religion on the decline, and, and I believe that it is with, you know, rationality and science raising, like... I believe that it's really up to the therapist because we can do, like, cause, like I said, we're doing the same thing, we're just branding it differently. Right. You know, like I think it's really up to therapists and civilly group therapists to make sober, intimate, vulnerable communities for people. Yeah. Because that has always been a part of, of human society and if we don't really work on that and pay attention to it, um, we're going to lose it. Right. We're going to lose it because the, the the internet provides such a close simulation to it that we don't realize what we're missing. Right. Because 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 they, the simulation is just it's just so strong. It's almost right. there. It's like it's the matrix, there, but it's right? It's not there exactly. It's yeah. like the matrix exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. And that's that I I would also say the same thing about healthy churches. And mm-hmm. that's another thing I talk about on the show is really and it's it's one of the reasons I don't <laughs> like some of the I, I have some negative comments. If you could please leave a review of this of this podcast. Like I'm your Uber driver and you're giving me five sure. stars. Like if that helps, that would be helpful. Because there's some people that really don't like this show because they think that I'm attacking Christianity or I'm attacking religion. And really mm-hmm. no, that's not what I'm doing. But there but you have to discern between a healthy community of people that are really yes. seeking healing Right and getting closer to God, like even even those words, getting closer to God can can become sort of a a you know a shamy thing. We, we shame is is okay. Here, here's one thing that I like people to understand about looking for a, a good, healthy, safe spiritual community. Guilt is a normal human emotion. When you do something bad you feel bad right like that's normal shame is when you feel like you are bad like that's yeah. your your identity is i am bad i am the essence of bad and that's not healthy like that is is that right i mean you you <laughs> yes
1: yeah. yeah 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 shame is i did a bad thing uh, sorry guilt is i did a bad thing shame is i'm a bad person
0: yeah exactly shame is toxic yeah. yeah and both of them have but the, the like you were saying about the matrix like both of them have a similar feeling right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's almost like if i can stand behind the mirror of a screen or in social media i don't have to feel that thing you know that is so elusive yeah. so if we can Part of it, I think, part of this conversation, maybe, Mark, is getting people to discern between guilt and shame, right? And having a healthy community where you can bring out those feelings in a safe place where you're not going to be attacked or shamed or bullied or, right?
1: Yeah, and that's that's why it comes down to the community leaders, group leaders, and to parents. You know, like a message that I want to put out there is like, when your kid comes to you with something that they did wrong, like, really pay attention to how you're responding to that kid,
0: yeah. right?
1: Like, like, like if the kid's like, "Hey, mom, like I got to see all see all my math test," and you're like, "You're stupid," right? right. Like that's shame. Yeah. And you said, "Oh, it looks like you didn't study enough, and maybe you can prepare better next time." That's guilt. Yeah. Right. That's healthy. Like, it's okay. But yeah, it's healthy. Like, make it about the math test. Don't make it about the kid. Yeah. You know, but so many people mess that up, and like, you know, I guess to kind of go in their religion thing, like. You know if someone comes to confession and they say something that's like guilty and the pastor says like you're going to burn in hell forever yeah like you better get right (laughs) yeah yeah like shit okay i guess i you know i guess i'm a bad person but if, if you have a pastor that is actually willing to talk to you and 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 help you through that and help you work through that guilt and maybe make some changes yeah but it doesn't have to be so personal yeah. You know, and that's, I think, a very critical difference between guilt and shame is it, and how we can perpetuate it. Yeah, exactly. And all of us, I mean, one thing, one thing, like you said, like when someone lets you into that shack and you just like fuck it up, you know, like right. one sentence. I mean, people are so vulnerable and, and, and yeah, just, uh, just one thing can really close that door for a long time.
0: For a long time. Yeah, yeah, it can. So we need to be to love other people is to be a open hand and an open heart to say, Yes, this is a safe place. Speaking of one thing, let's let's end the show on that, Mark. If you if someone came to you, say they're struggling with really compulsive pornography uh, issues and and you could give them one thing to, to help them on that the journey of, of walking into healing
1: um would be kind of counterintuitive, but I ask them what kind of porn they're watching. <laughs> oh yeah, that's great. You know, like like and I and say that like I would make it a safe space for them to talk about porn. You know, like uh. I'm more interested in kind of what the process is. Like it's not about the addiction, it's about what's going on underneath it. Right. You know? And when someone comes to me and they're like, Hey, I have this thing that I'm ashamed of, I'm like, Cool, tell me about it. Yeah. You know, like just totally nonplussed. Like word you know like what's that like for you (laughs) right like what kind of form do you like what kind of lube do you use like how often do you do it like awesome you know and like i'm modeling that it's okay yeah right like like i'm modeling that, that it's okay to have that and i guess like the advice that i would give people and what i hope to convey is that like they're not a bad person right like maybe there's parts of themselves that they don't like or that aren't effective or whatever but like I don't know, they're probably fine, you know, and they have, they are capable of love and they are deserving of love. And that's just the message that we use we just really don't get. Um, so, you know, I, I am to model that for my clients so they can transfer it onto themselves. Right. Right. So they can do that for themselves and then they don't need me. And yeah. that's great, you know, it's yeah. like that's the best feeling in the world
0: yeah that's great mark thank you so much tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more about you i imagine you do uh sessions via skype that kind of thing
1: yeah um, so i actually don't do uh tele teletherapy oh you us, don't. Okay. unless you're in colorado but my license doesn't transfer oh, I um, out of out of colorado um but i do have a few colleagues that specialize in that and have you know different setups so If someone wants therapy from someone that works similar to me, they could definitely reach out to me. But the best way to, and actually on that note, um, one thing that I love doing with followers is connecting them with therapists in their area. I know a lot of therapists around um, the country and soon to be the world, and I love helping people get the help that they need. So if anything that I said connected to you, please reach out to me. You can email me at mark, M-A-R-C, at mark-azulay.com. Just email me. I'll find you a therapist. Like, I love doing that. Um, So the website's the best place to find me, mark-azulay.com. And on there, there's links to the Facebook, the Twitter, the blog, um, LinkedIn, stuff like that. So connect. Um, There's other interviews, too. So if you like this one, there's a ton of other interviews that I've done with um, other people on a variety of different topics.
0: Thanks, Mark. I appreciate you, man.
1: I appreciate you, too. It's been a great interview.
0: There goes Mark Azulay. ASI247.org is the website questions, comments, does this conversation bug you? Um, We tend to think about stuff, right? We have this cognitive dissonance and usually that results in judgment, right? So if you're even thinking that, hey, Russ, where are you going with this kind of conversations? Um, I would love to hear from you. Uh, Honestly, I I do uh, value your feedback. So again, Russ at asi two four seven dot org. If you'd like to leave a comment or something on the, uh, please. Again, thanks for listening. Till next time, bye.